Listen, I get it. There are about a hundred different Bible study apps and guides out there, but I want to tell you about one that you may not have heard of yet, Yarrow. Yarrow offers beautifully designed inductive Bible studies and a digital app that guides you through scripture so that you can know what it says and understand what it means for your actual life. No matter where you're coming from or what season of life you're in, Yarrow is the Bible study guide that will help you unearth the truth of scripture so that it can take root in your heart and propel you deeper in your relationship with God. Go check out their first study, Known, which is all about your identity in Christ at yarrow.org. They are offering 10% off with the code JOURNEYWOMEN10. So go to yarrow.org and use the code JOURNEYWOMEN10 for 10% off and download the Yarrow app to study for free today. Welcome to the Journey Women podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Belis. Life's a journey we were never meant to walk alone. We all need friends along the way. On the Journey Women podcast, we'll chat with mentors about gracefully navigating the seasons and challenges we face on our journeys to glorify God. Today, I'm interviewing Amy Waters, a licensed professional counselor, women's Bible study leader, disciple maker, and self-proclaimed theology junkie. Amy spent nearly 10 years on staff at Pine Cove as a conference director, and it was there that God gave her a passion for ministering to women and families. She earned a master's in marriage and family counseling from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in 2011 and is currently counseling at Aletheia Counseling Center in Tyler, Texas. Amy is married to Neil Waters and mommy to four-year-old Sam and two-year-old Elle. Amy and Neil love to spend time working on home projects, camping, playing frisbee, reading out loud to each other, and trying to catch sleep wherever they can find it. When she's not doing that, Amy can be found posting ridiculously cute pictures of their children on social media or pretending like she's a chef in Chopped Kitchen. Both things I can attest to. Amy and I are discussing how we as women can relate to our emotions. I've been planning this interview since the idea for the Journey Women podcast was born many months ago. To be honest, I felt really awkward coming off of this recording. But I listened to Amy and I's conversation while editing and realized that my own discomfort stems from the fact that I personally struggle to relate to my emotions. Brooks and I live in a culture where emotion isn't admonished, and I think I'm a little out of touch with relating to mine. My chat with Amy was enlightening and challenging. I hope it's as helpful for you as it was for me. Amy, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad to be with you. I mean, just to get a conversation with you, I'm kind of excited. Yeah, to sit in your presence. I think I've told you before that I would literally camp out on your doorstep if it meant I could just say a couple words to you every day. I would let you in the house, I promise. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I do know that. I loved how in your bio you sent me that you said you like to pretend to be chopped, the little chef. Uh, on the TV show or whatever, I was like, I've experienced the goodness of this. I know other people do this. Like sometimes I just have ingredients and I go, I don't know what I'm going to make, but I'm just going to pretend I'm I'm unchopped right now and I'm going to make something awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love it. Well, you've like even gotten more my style of eating because of all the things that you guys have navigated with Elle's dietary restrictions. So I could like come over and just be pampered out the wazoo right now. You could. I'm getting pretty good at this gluten-free, dairy-free, soy-free, everything-free. And I'm I'm, I'm determined. If I'm going to eat healthy, it better be the best food I've ever put in my mouth. Uh, see, this is what I need in my life because sometimes I look at my food and I'm like, man, I know this is good for me, but like, I feel so sorry for my family sometimes. <laughs> I'm all, hello, vegetables. Nice to meet you. If I'm going to eat you today, you're going to be delicious. All of the veggies have bacon, so. Oh, bacon does cover a a multitude of taste sins. I I feel like bacon does that. Oh, it absolutely does. Well, I'm so excited to have you on to talk about emotions. And there is nobody that I know that I'd rather talk to about relating to my emotions than you, Amy Waters. Oh, I'm really grateful for that. I, I feel like I'm qualified to talk about it because I have a lot of them. I'm excited to talk to someone who has a lot of them because I feel like in relation to other women, I feel a little bit more even keeled. So Mm -hmm. some of the questions that I'm even asking, I ask some of my emotional, more emotionally driven friends to help me kind of ask great questions in this area, because I would say I'm probably one who is more prone to suppress emotions. So Uh I know I've got work to do. 
and I know you can help me. We all probably have a little bit of work to do here, but there's, I think I'll use the words you gave me today when I delayed our conversation, grace abounds. Um, But for someone, I'm a high feeler, a high emoter, and I've chosen a profession where I spend a lot of time engaging with the way people feel. Yes. Um, And so, you know, you kind of have to give some thought to how is this supposed to work, especially from a biblical worldview. We have these emotions, and I think sometimes in the Christian world, we think of them as evil. Like, being emotional, I've even heard people use it as an insult. Right. You're so emotional. Um, and being emotional doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. As in all things that God gives us, what we do with them is where, where it becomes a matter of, say, sin or not sin, or glorifying God or being selfish with them. Um, and so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a deep feeler and I had to figure out what to do with that. So, um, I'm happy to share, um, a few thoughts where I can. Why do you think people speak negatively about emotions like that? I've totally heard that as well. A couple of reasons. One, I think because people don't really know what to do with them. Mm. We often get overwhelmed by really powerful emotions and emotions are a relational vehicle. Right When we have emotions, it, it has to do with how we experience something, our body's response to that, and then how we express that, and, and almost always connected to how we're relating either to ourselves, to God, or to other people. Hmm. Um, and so emotions can cause a lot of relational trouble for people, especially when you have two people who are experiencing the same event, and they're experiencing it different ways. Finding a way to come and have unity there can be really difficult. Yeah. And so I, and I think for the person who is more um, uh, deeply driven by emotion, um, they can find themselves kind of being taken on a ride. And the people who love them kind of feel like they get taken on a ride. Um, and so when people respond to emotions negatively or they have intense negative emotions, I think there is this inclination to include the idea of emotion altogether as bad. Right. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Well, and then there's that whole, you know, the heart is deceitful above all else thing, which is totally biblical. So how do we, you know, how do you take that for people that are using that and saying, the the heart is deceitful, don't even learn to relate to your emotions because you can't trust those. You know, it is certainly a biblical concept that the heart is deceitful. um, and, And part of that is because we are selfish creatures. When we experience the world and the way we respond to that and how we express that is often going to be com- completely connected to the self. Hmm. Um, and so it's very easy to be selfish with our emotions. Right. They can't be 100% bad. God emotes. We, we are made in his image. We are made to reflect that image back to him. And even God himself emotes and uses emotional language to relate to us. So we hear him, him say things like, I'm sorry I made man. He says this to Moses when um, you know, Moses is making an appeal and we hear that. It's actually a very controversial scripture. It repented the Lord or I'm sorry I made man. Or he'll say things like in Zephaniah um, that he delights over us with singing. He rejoices. Um, we see even the person of Jesus as he's walking around perfectly reflecting the image of God. and He feels compassion for people. He gets angry, throws over tables. He, um, you know, he weeps, he, he loves, he invites people in, he extends mercy. So he does all these things that are connected to emotion. And so emotion itself, um, I would say is morally neutral. In fact, God gives them to us and can absolutely be a vehicle for reflecting image back to God. This is a little bit of what God is like, um, it's just that we're sinful, so we don't do that perfectly. Um, right. And so um, it can also become a place where we're selfish, where we're sinful, where we misunderstand each other, where we um, even sometimes use emotion to hurt other people. Um, and and so as a believer, we you know we don't throw out the baby with the bathwater because I've you know entered into sin through the vehicle of emotion, then I'm not going to emote anymore. Rather to say, you know what, God gave me emotion, and he also feels emotion. So how can I use my emotions to glorify God? And how can I relate to my emotions in such a way um, that I'm doing that with faith? 
Yes, this is such an important topic, Amy, because I totally get the person who's like, you know what, I don't know what to do with all of these. And I've, in fact, I've responded poorly to certain situations because of my emotion. So I'm just going to shut this off right here. I'm done. But absolutely, as you're saying, we can glorify God with our emotions. So please help us, help us understand, Amy, how can we relate to these things? Oh, these things. We have to remember there's not a revolution or revival or anything that hasn't happened with great passion. Right. That there is, people don't lay down their lives where they feel nothing. Right. The disciples were so fully convinced and so fully moved that Jesus had risen from the dead and that that was the best thing that had ever happened, Hmm. that they literally go to the ends of the earth and they lay down their lives, to, to our knowledge, all but John, really. Um, and he lays down his life as he's living for the glory of God. And they go, you don't do that without passion. How, right. how, do, you, how do you do those kinds of things and check emotion at the door? I, I think emotion actually can, can really help people go in times when they want to give up. And you go, no, but he's better, he's better, he's better. Um, and so I'm going to keep moving. I'm going to keep putting one foot in front of the other because there's great love here. Um, and while I fully understand that there is this action element to love, we can't turn off the feeling part of it either. Yeah, totally. So maybe we should start with the person that's like me, maybe because I am myself <laughs> and I am going to be having this conversation and relating to you. Maybe we and should start I love with... yourself. <laughs> Thank you. Um, maybe we should talk about somebody who struggles to feel things. Why might we be struggling to feel things you know you've talked us through this um maybe negative view of emotion because of negative experience are there other reasons that someone might be suppressing their emotion absolutely now i'm gonna i'm gonna kind of throw an idea out there i get what you're asking in the sense of that there are some people who don't experience emotion as deeply or as intensely or they don't experience the highs and lows as often as maybe someone near them. Right. I would say that sometimes even feeling too little can also be an emotion. Hmm. In the, in the counseling world, I might call that I feel numb, I feel apathetic, I feel flat or empty. Even depression, you know, people think of depression as just this deep sorrow or sadness, but sometimes depression is literally feeling it's a lack of feeling. Wow. Yeah. Um, for some people, the way they experience depression is that I feel numb and I just, I struggle to feel what I might normally feel in this particular situation. Sometimes I do think it is a self-protective measure that, you know, feeling deep emotion or expressing deep emotion in some way has burned me. So therefore, the way I protect myself is I turn that switch off. Done. Sometimes people are overwhelmed. I feel so many things at one time. I don't know where to start. And so I just don't. (laughs) Yeah. And then I think sometimes people are trained to not feel. I Mm -hmm. think sometimes it's a survival skill that they grew up in homes where expressing at least negative emotions were um, frowned upon. But I think even sometimes positive emotions that were maybe told that's silly or you're getting too excited about something. um, That sometimes we've been in scenarios where the way other people respond to our emotions lets us know that's not okay to do. So we can be trained. Yes. And for someone like me, how can we move forward in relating to our emotion? Because I'm worried that somebody may be like checking out if they're like, eh, I'm not really that emotional of a person. I I don't need help relating to my emotions. And as you're saying, we actually are emotional. We are feeling, um, maybe it's numbness, maybe it's dryness. How do we move forward from there? Well, one, I think there is um, a need, and I think this is culturally a, a massive problem right now, that we have a great need for contemplation. We have a great need for um, introspection and um, time. You know, this, this concept of letting God search our hearts, we, we read that in Psalm 139. He, he prays, search me, Lord, know my heart. Try me, Lord, know my anxious ways. There's this invitation, you know, show me. What is it that's here? What is it that I'm feeling? What is it that I'm dealing with? Um, And so sometimes the first step is just to give yourself some time for contemplation or maybe even permission to feel. 
Mm-hmm. For someone who has said, "I'm there's an intentional decision here to not feel." Um, you, some a lot of people will relate to this experience. That moment where tears are coming to find you, and you go, uh-uh, "I can't do this right here, not right now." And so you literally find a way to just turn it off. I'm not that human. I don't know how to do that. My tears just come. <laughs> um, but I tell people all the time that tears are my spiritual gift. I'm like, I know it's not listed in the scriptures, but um, I do. I cry for people. With I love that about you. People. There's, there's a tenderness that God gave me that I can't avoid. Mm-hmm. But there are some people who really get in that moment where tears are about to find them and they either have to run away or they just find a way to stonewall it. Mm. Um, and so if that happens, that might be the right thing. You might be in a time and a place where tears just aren't appropriate, but what we don't often do is revisit that. We don't often come back and go, I now have permission to feel this thing, um, or to explore what was it that was going on in that moment. Mm-hmm. So sometimes just asking God to search our hearts or sitting down and giving ourselves some time for contemplation to be able to identify what the emotions are. Um, it's going to be really hard to relate to emotions that we can't identify. Right. So if somebody's like, oh, I don't really have the motivation to do that. What would your encouragement to them be? You know, we live out the world in relationship to, to ourselves, in relationship to other people, and in relationship to God. Mm-hmm. And to think that our emotions are only in isolation, I think is very naive. Mm-hmm. The way that we feel is going to come into play when we relate to God and it's going to come into play when we relate to other people. Totally. And all my, all my married girls said, amen. Yes. Um, <laughs> so there is this element, too, that I need to learn how to relate to my emotions. One, because I can't worship without them. Mm. Um, so good. There, There is an inability to, because that's part of what worship is. There's this, I, I'm expressing everything that I experience about the Lord. Now, of course, we worship in truth, right? We don't check our brains at the door either. Right. But I, how do I worship without some level of emotion? So if I'm feeling sorrow, or if I'm feeling fear, or if I'm feeling um, overlooked or betrayed or whatever it is, if I'm going to fully and rightly relate to God about that, I have, I have to be able to engage with my emotions. And you take that on a vertical level in how I deal with relationships. You know, I find a lot of times that people who are not engaging with the really big emotions find themselves freaking out over things that don't matter. Right? Not yes. going to get sad about the fact that I've been deeply hurt, betrayed, or sinned against. But I'm going to freak out about the fact that somebody's late with my latte at Starbucks. Right. Um, so, you know, is that the proverbial crying over spilled milk. Um, and so I think sometimes when people are really suppressing emotions, they'll find themselves going, why am I feeling anxious over this silly little thing? Hmm. And you get them sitting down in counseling. You start opening up the book of their life and you realize it has nothing to do with um, spilled milk or, uh, you know, being late for something or, you know, um, these little mini happenstances that happen that you're going, oh, that, there was a really big loss, a really big hurt at this point in my life and I've never dealt with that and I carry it with me Mm. to not express emotions doesn't mean I don't have them right and it affects the people around you for sure when you don't learn how to relate to them everyone's like okay Hunter get to the part about where we really experience emotion and how do we deal with them so I would love to move into that and just talk about how we deal with emotions when they feel very overwhelming Yeah. You know, I think the same exercise is true for the person who feels too little as the person who deals too much. To be able to give yourself time to contemplate and identify them, I think we've got to confess them. We pour out our hearts to God. We pour out our hearts to um, even uh, trusted, believing friends. That there is an element of confession, I think, with emotion that's healthy and good. Um, I also think we need to make sure that our emotions are being led by the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the idea that, you know, you read through first Peter and you hear this idea of being sober minded. Um, the person who lets emotion lead the train, um, can often be on that roller coaster that, you know, uh, when I talk about the beginning, this feeling that I'm, I'm just being taken for a ride when, when you see some, and I, I identify with this personally because it, it, it Maybe the earlier versions and sometimes even the current version of Amy Waters will um, feel emotions so deeply that they somehow get in the driver's seat. 
and I have to exercise um, with the truth. How do I let truth lead my emotions rather than emotion lead the truth? Hmm. So I'm going to give you my ABCs of emotion. Oh, goody. Um, this is uh, um, actually connected to the idea of what they call rational emotive behavior therapy. And I love when, um, <laughs> uh, you know, secular theory and biblical truth um, uh, prove each other in some ways. You kind of go, guys, we knew that all along. Um, <laughs> so um, the ABCs are basically this, that usually there's an activator. That's your A. That there's some kind of event, some kind of experience, some kind of thing that happens. Mm-hmm. The, the C is your consequence. What do I feel and what do I do? What's the behavioral response? Um, so I'm going to give you an example of this because um, I, I, I get emotive in the car. I don't know about anybody else. But when I'm, I feel very safe in those four walls that I can um, feel and say lots of things that I might not say in the rest of the world. <laughs> so let's just imagine I'm driving down the road. Another vehicle pulls in front of me, slams on his brakes. It's a near miss. What is what are most people likely to feel in that kind of scenario? I would have felt panicked, like okay, panic, anger, maybe. That's right. Okay. Yes. Yeah. I'm yelling, get off your phone! (laughs) Yes. I'm upset. I'm angry. What if I told you that that vehicle was an ambulance and his lights are on? Are you still mad? No. How come? Because you know somebody must be in there that needs immediate assistance. So yeah. it's valid for them to speed in front of you. Yeah. What you believe, there's your B. Okay. What you believe about that situation is going to change what you feel and therefore change what you do. I might honk at the first guy, even though I have no idea what's going on in his car. Is he rushing his baby to the hospital? Is he trying to get somebody help? I don't know. I don't know that. I'm just assuming he's texting. Right. <laughs> But when I see this ambulance, I believe that they're they're doing the right thing. They're out to help somebody. It was my fault. I should have watched. And all those beliefs will therefore change. I'm not honking at that guy. So rather than, and here's, I'll give you a D. Rather than dealing with the activator, which we have very little control over, these circumstances of life. Um, now, sometimes we are our own demise. But for the most part, the things that happen, we just have very little control over. Right. I really think it's wise to deal with the belief. If we search that out and we realize the belief is true, um, it's mm-hmm. uh, God-glorifying, it's wise, it's accurate, um, and I've kind of sorted through the belief that's fueling the emotion and I still feel a negative emotion, well, then I just need to feel the negative emotion. Mm-hmm. If I've lost somebody that I love, I should feel grief, mm. right? I shouldn't be going, why am I sad? Well, I know why I'm sad. <laughs> um But I think there's a lot of times where we feel this emotion and when we sort through it, what we realize is that we're believing things that aren't true or or maybe believing things that we can't know. Right. Right. We make assumptions about how other people feel towards us. We assume maybe that was a criticism when really it was just a statement. You know, we kind of bring all these preconceived notions to every relationship that we have Um, And some beliefs run really strong. Some beliefs go into every relationship that we have. Mm -hmm. Um, So if somebody believes that they're not really worth it, (laughs) right, this feeling of being worthless, Um, and and they're not connecting to the idea that a great price has been paid in Christ's blood on the cross, and they're not believing that other people actually really do love them very dearly because they're a part of the body of Christ. That maybe they're not believing these truths. What they're believing is things that they heard when they were little or previous friendships that weren't healthy or all those things. And I'm operating out of those beliefs and I feel a negative emotion. I mm. need to challenge that emotion. Um, and so I do think that this is the idea of being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Right. This is the idea of um, whatever is good, whatever is right, whatever is lovely and worthy of praise. We think about those things. This is the idea of taking captive every thought that we take those thoughts and we say, okay, are they true? And if they aren't, I need to really directly challenge this feeling that I'm having. So when I have the initial feeling, that's an intuitive response. There's nothing I can do to help the emotion from showing up. Mm -hmm. What I want to do with it, though, is make sure that I'm putting it underneath the um, authoritative umbrella of the word of God under the, uh, the 
authority of truth. Um, and so, you know, sometimes emotions can be great canaries. They kind of squawk and let you know something's going awry and I need to pay attention to this. Um, and then when I take time to pay attention to it, if it's not in line with truth, then it, I just need to tell my heart where it needs to go. Yeah. Dave, David does this, right? This is David. David says things like, why are you downcast soul? Why are you troubled? Hoping God again. That's Psalm 42 and Psalm mm. 43. He literally tells his own soul to not be downcast mm. and to hope in God. Or he'll say, bless the Lord, soul. Right? We sing that, bless the Lord, oh my soul. Right. That's actually a directive. Man. He's saying, bless the Lord, Nefesh. That's Psalm 103. He's literally commanding his soul to bless God. So even the we read that in Psalm 34, this command to delight yourself in the Lord. I, I think if God is asking us to do those things, there seems to be this idea that I can tell my heart what to feel. <laughs> um, now, that, that takes discipline. That takes work. That's yeah. not easy. And for the deep feeler like me, that might take more work than maybe yeah. the person who's, you know, just by personality. Because there are some of us just by personality that feel more deeply than others. Right. Um, so for the person who just by wiring is a little bit more like me, that's going to take a little bit more work than somebody who's just naturally a little more on the logical side. Do you ever find yourself so busy that you can't find time to prioritize God's Word? Dwell Bible app can help you out. With Dwell, I can listen to and meditate on the scriptures in the car, in the middle of the night, or while I'm making meals and tending to the needs of our household. Incorporating the Bible into everyday moments is so easy with Dwell. I am constantly using the playlists on walks or as I fall asleep to review the scripture that I have been memorizing. The soothing background music, the ability to select your preferred translation or narrator, the sleep timer, and the read-along feature with Dwell make it the most helpful Bible reading app on the market. Their newest release is called Dwell Daily, and it will help you immerse yourself in the Word, pray it, meditate on it, and so much more. Go to dwellbible.com forward slash journeywomen to receive your 25% discount today. Again, that's dwellbible.com forward slash journeywomen for 25% off. That's totally where I fall on the logical side, but I do have a lot of friends who fall more on the emotive side. And I I am, I, I don't know, I'm almost envious because I'm like, what would that be like, you know, to experience those things? But then I've also heard my friends say that they're in a situation and they have that activator like you were mentioning, and they are so overcome by their emotion. They literally do not know what to do. It's so overwhelming, like you said, almost like a roller coaster type experience. And one of the questions that I wanted to ask you was, what if you're in a situation where you may not have an opportunity to get away or to mm -hmm. think, how would you suggest someone respond to an activator if they don't have that opportunity to really sit down and kind of dig in to see if it aligns with what they see in the word of God? Um, this is going to be a frustrating answer. I think that really kind of depends on the situation. Totally. I think there are, at some level, as we exercise this, we get better at doing it and we can do it really quick. Right. And you can, in a quick moment go, why am I, why am I freaking out about this? Yeah. Um, or why am I feeling so sad or why? Wow. That kind of hurt. Why did that hurt me? I think we can do it to some degree, a very quick, like what's the belief and should I act on that and that kind of thing. If we can't, and it, especially when the emotions are really big, I think it's okay to call time out. Yeah. I really think it's okay to say, I'm not going to respond right now. Mm -hmm. That even, especially if we're in an argument or we're in a, if this is in a relational context, <laughs> um, it's okay to say, I need a little time to process through this because I'm feeling some really intense emotions. And I realize that may not even be connected to you. Like that may really just be about me mm -hmm. and, and I don't want to take that out on you. Um, can we, can we revisit this? Can I just have a little time? I think there's times where we think we need to just, I feel it and therefore I must act right now. Right. Um, and we don't always give ourselves permission to, um, to defer, to say, you know what, I'm going to deal with this at another time. Totally. What we don't want to do and I think the scriptures definitely speak to this. It's the idea of in your anger, do not sin. That when I feel anger, sometimes I immediately just want to 
you know, take action. Right. But we, we want to be very careful to not let even a righteous anger be a vehicle for sin. Um, to be a place where we go, maybe the maybe the feeling was right, but the behavior was wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would encourage people to slow down. <laughs> um, ah, that's really good. Because I think vulnerability and authenticity is so admonished, especially today. And I wonder how much of our attempt to be vulnerable and authentic may actually be us acting in sin. Yeah. It's true. And, you know, where the relationship is very close, I think there probably is a little more freedom to even say in the moment, like, I'm feeling really hurt right now, or what you just said. I'm like, I just ah, kind of want to scream. Right. Um, but to go, I am committed to making sure that we, um, even though I'm feeling this thing, that that we continue to walk in unity. Um, and so if I need time to process, take time to process. Or if it's a trusted enough friend where you can process while you talk through it. Um, my poor husband gets to do that with me a lot. That, hmm. um, <laughs> you know, the closer the relationship, there maybe is a little more freedom to talk through it. Right. Um, we just want to make sure that we're not giving way to um, saying offensive things. If we know we're in a situation where we're going to start name calling or we're going to start yeah. know, hurting or throwing or losing our minds that, we, you know, at that point, we just got to go time out. I just think the wisest thing to do at that point is to give yourself time. Yeah, that's a really good word. One of the questions I wanted to ask you is, are there any good boundaries that we should have in place when we're processing our emotions with our spouses and friends, like you're saying? Um, yeah, I think in general, we, uh, especially this is especially for the deep feelers, that not every feeling we have must be expressed. Um for the person who maybe uh, hesitates to um, express, you might need to challenge yourself to express more, to say right. in the moment. You know, in, in counseling, we use a skill that's called immediacy. Um, what immediacy does is it capitalizes on the immediate situation. So I might say, you know what? Your face totally changed when I just said that. Um, what's happening right now? Mm. <laughs> I'm, um, I, I will have a lot of times where somebody's experiencing a really deep emotion, but they don't know that they can tell me for that person. I want to draw it out for the person who tends to express every emotion that they feel. You might need to evaluate. Is this beneficial to the relationship? Does this glorify God in some way? Is this going to promote growth and freedom and friendship and, um, you know, the pursuit of holiness? Is there, is there going to be a growth in intimacy as an outcome of this? Now, again, you may not always have time to sit down and kind of ask all of those questions, but maybe the short version of that is, am I being selfish right now? Yeah. Am I taking into consideration, is this the right time? Is this person going to be able to receive what I have to give? You know, if I just walk in the door ready to emote and I don't take into consideration how my kids are doing or how my husband is doing, um, and I just come ready to you know, kind of let it all out, I'm not taking into consideration whether they can be an active participant in the conversation. Oh, um, that requires so much discipline to walk away from that situation, though, when you really are feeling something really deeply, because you're so impacted, obviously, by those emotions. Yeah, you are. And, you know, I have an, uh, an introvert of a husband, God, God has a great sense of humor. He gave the extroverted feeler an introverted thinker and said, have fun. <laughs> yes. um, <laughs> um, but what, one of the things that I've learned is that if I really want his opinion and I want him to be valued and I want, if, if it's not just about me in that moment, um, I have to give him a little bit of time to process or he's not going to know what he thinks about something or what he feels about something. Mm. Um, and if I just come in and dump on him, that's what I've done is I've come in and I've dumped on him. Now there are times where that just happens. So when I do that, I also need to come back and say, I'm so sorry that I just dumped on you. And here's where we were coming from. Let's process through this. Um, you know, I, I want, I want you also to have the grace to know that if I don't do it perfectly the right time that, you know, that, that I can't come back and ask for forgiveness for that or, you know, out of this emotion, I, I did sin against you in some way. You know, there's something to be said about um, that confession and forgiveness and repentance that, that also promotes intimacy. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but in, in as much as it's up to us, I think learning the discipline of um, kind of connecting to the beliefs, being able to confess those things, and then not needing to express every emotion just before I feel it. I also, I, I want to just commend young women to, to make sure that you're talking to God first before you're going to talk to everybody else in your world. Yeah, that's a good word. Oi. <laughs> I'm an external processor. I think while yes. I talk, I get this. Um, and there's so many times where I found myself having talked about it with two or three t- trusted friends and realizing I haven't even prayed about this. I have not sorted through this at all. How dare I bring this to other people before I've brought it to the Lord? Um, and so I want to just encourage all of us to, um, to make sure, you know, we have this sweet invitation in Psalm 62. He says, trust in me at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. There's this invitation from God to pour out our hearts. Um, and, and the best part is, is that he's a big boy. Like he can totally take all, you come up with the most intense, passionate, deep feeling person in the whole world and people that go, I'm too much for other people. You're not too much for him. It's not possible to be too much for him. Um, and he invites us to pour out our hearts. So why wouldn't you do that? Yeah. Man, that's so good. You know, you brought up to a really um, something something that I've heard a lot lately. Just this idea of feeling like you're too much for somebody who feels like that in a specific relationship. How would you encourage them to move through that for the sake of intimacy? And I'm thinking specifically as I'm speaking about those of us that are married, because I think as women, that can oftentimes be our experience in a husband and wife relationship. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a fantastic question. You know, God, again, always wise, always good for (laughs) um, knowing exactly what we need. He commends husbands to live with their wives in an understanding way. Um, And Mm. sometimes just for the sake of men understanding their wives, they need to understand the nature of emotion. And so sometimes I think that does involve getting with someone like me, a counselor. Someone can kind of help navigate that. Um, because you don't want to create, create the scenario where a wife's always dumping on her husband, but you also don't want to create, create the scenario where she can't tell him anything, right? um, where she feels not understood or known by him. And so sometimes it's just an invitation. I would even say to say, you know what, baby, I really want to do counseling. And it's not because I think anything is wrong. It's just because I really, I just, I, I need help knowing how to navigate this too, um, and it, it would bless me so much to be known and understood by you in this way. And can we, can we do that? Yeah. Um, I, you know, I think there's a lot of times where, where guys are so afraid of emotions because mm-hmm. they, they receive it as criticism hmm. or a failure of some kind that if she's feeling a negative emotion, I must have done something absolutely terribly wrong. Yeah. Um, and, you know, even to let them know this isn't this isn't because you're failing as a husband. It's because the gap between um, man and woman is big enough. But thinker and feeler and extrovert and introvert, those differences can really leave us feeling isolated from one another. And we've been called to one flesh. Um, and to think that we can always figure that out on our own, I, I just think is to leave out a resource that God has given us. I, I, I put this on my website um, in Proverbs. Uh, we hear that. In the abundance of counselors, there is safety. We were mm. meant to counsel one another. Um, sometimes that's in a professional office like my place. But I think biblical counselors, trusted mentors, um, uh, those are all great places to receive counsel. And so, you know, even just kind of opening up the dialogue to say, you know, there's times where I feel like my emotions are too much for you and I'm afraid that it's going to leave us moving apart rather than moving together. Yeah. Okay. Well, I have to ask this, and this is a little bit of an aside, but I know that this is such a point of contention in so many marriages. And a lot of times when, like you said, there is that insecurity, maybe he feels like that he's done something wrong. Maybe they've communicated about going to counseling in the past and it hasn't gone over well. Mm -hmm. But what would you suggest to the woman who's coming to her husband saying, I really would like to go to counseling because we're struggling in this area and he refuses. What would you suggest to her? I'd say go alone. <laughs> yes. Um, 
I think, you know, there are times too where you go, okay, you know, I've extended this invitation and he is unwilling to go. It's okay to go and deal with those things on your own. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think sometimes too, when, it, when they see even some changes in us or they see, um, I'm committed to making sure that my, I'm not selfishly using my emotions to, um, manipulate you or to, uh, kind of take things out on you. Um, sometimes that will soften a heart, but even if it doesn't, I think it can pretty, it can be pretty life impacting to go alone. Yeah. I really hope that those that are listening that are experiencing that will heed that encouragement. So I've seen it be really impactful yeah. for our friends and man, I love counseling. I wish I had access to you every day. <laughs> Oh, I'll keep you in the category of friend hunter, but I will counsel you on, on a friend basis anytime. <laughs> oh. You do me too. Um, I need I need a little hunter counsel every now and again too. <laughs> One of the things that I asked you about a couple of weeks ago was just how we can help our kids relate to our emotions. And I can already sense, I think, and maybe it's just the toddler phase. Maybe I don't really have Hadley pinned, but she <laughs> seems to be more emotive um, and more emotionally driven. And man, I feel like I've had to learn so much in parenting her. And I'd love to hear from you how I can better help her relate to her own emotions in her little 2.5 year old self. Are you looking to boost your protein intake in the new year? Many of us are not getting enough protein, especially at breakfast. So Prep Dish wants to help you out. For the month of January, Prep Dish is offering bonus protein boost meal plans when you sign up. This free bonus shows you how to quickly prep four protein-rich dinners and one breakfast to help you reach your protein goals. Each menu will have you covered for the whole week. You guys, these meals are super mouthwatering and delicious. They have slow cooker carnitas bowls, stuffed pepper soup, and a Swiss chard mushroom and goat cheese frittata. Just imagine coming home to a ready-for-you protein-rich meal to refuel after a long day at work. This is a limited time offer, so make sure to sign up before the end of January to get these free bonus meal plans. Head into your healthiest year yet, feeling confident that dinner is planned, prepped, and will sustain you for all the things you have going that day with Prep Dish. Check it out and get a two-week free trial at PrepDish.com slash journey. Remember, for the month of January, anyone who signs up gets the Protein Boost Meal Plan bonus. Again, that's PrepDish.com slash journey for two weeks free plus bonus menus. So I'll, I'll probably break up, give a two-part answer, because I think when we're parenting littles, it's a little bit different than when we're parenting teenagers. Yes, got to think about that. Got to gotta be preemptive. <laughs> yeah, well, because they're at two different stages. Totally. When we're coming out of the zero to two. We're out of this whole sensory motor thing. We're not putting everything in our mouth anymore. Their brain, little brains make a shift, and emotions really begin to develop between um, three or four years old and um, probably the end of elementary school. That's the part of the brain that's lighting up the most. Um, So a couple of things that we help them with. One, I think one of our main jobs is to give them a language for what they feel. Mm. Um, To help them know how to uh, use words to accurately express what it is that's going on. Um, And so sometimes that's even just by watching them and kind of going, you're disappointed or you're frustrated or you're sad or you're... um, you know, it's really cute. My my four year old Sam right now. He keeps asking, "Mom, are you sad to leave me?" Oh, it's like, petty. Uh, he's a very tender heart. Um, but part of that is just giving them language. And as they get a little bit older, they can learn more diverse emotions. Mm-hmm. But you could very easily, um, probably even just in a Google search, find a list of emotions if you're going to going. I don't know if I have all the words. Um. Uh, in my office, I like to use a little ball. I call it my ball of emotions. Um, it's a little rubber ball from Walmart, and I write a bunch of different emotions on it. Um, and I'll watch uh, sometimes a um, kid just kind of look at all the different words. And um, so we'll sometimes talk about times that they've felt that way or what they're feeling now. The other thing that we want to teach them is how to appropriately express them. So we might say things like, it's okay that you're angry, but it's not okay to hit. Or, um, you know, mm. I would be sad too. That would, you know, I, I don't like when things end. Um, when we're having a good time, we want things to continue. So, of course, you feel sad. Um, but you know what? Sometimes when you're sad, we have to do it anyways. Um, 
And so to let them know that emotions don't get to be the call on whether or not they obey. It doesn't get to be the uh, decision maker on whether or not they um, do what's expected of them or um, they're kind to other people, whatever. Right. Show respect. Yeah. So helping them know, too, that, um, that you know, we're not always just using emotion as a gauge to whether or not I'm going to act in some way. Um, that uh, Emotion might be just what it is. And we can empathize with that. Mm. And I think sometimes we forget that they're little humans. Right. Um, and that it always goes a long way to say, I'm so sorry that you're sad. I would be sad, too. I get why you're sad. Yes. Um, uh, now, I get it. Sometimes when you're walking out of the grocery store, we just got to obey and move. But, right. Um, but when, we're, when we do have a little bit of time to engage with them, give them a language, help them know how to appropriately express it, empathize with them. You know, you're you're kind of in training because in those teenage years, how you've responded to their emotions when they lose their balloon is going to be <laughs> a gauge for how are they going to respond to my emotions when I lose a friend or a boyfriend or, um, you know, mm. I fail a class or I, um, you know, the other thing I think that's important for those of us maybe moving down the road as uh, we're raising teenagers is that there's another shift that happens around junior high where they switch to that logic part of the brain. Um, that's why everyone becomes a lawyer in seventh grade. I didn't even know that, that they shift in their brain when in seventh grade. I Who knew? They do. And it can happen a little earlier, sometimes uh, as early as 10 or 11. And that really continues until we're about 18 or 19. Um, and par- part of what you have in younger adolescents is that they have all the emo- emotions of the adult as an adult, right? All that emotion has been developed. And now they're making a shift to develop logic. So all the emotions of an adult and all the logic of a child. Oh, wow. If that doesn't explain adolescence, I have no idea what does. Wow. Um, And it's terrifying. Okay. I'm starting (laughs) to feel really deeply right now. (laughs) Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. What's your feeling? Uh, Yay. Tell me about your feelings. (laughs) I'm freaked out. (laughs) Don't be freaked out. But what they'll do is they, you know, they don't always make a whole lot of sense, but they, they do know what they feel. Um, and so sometimes even just remembering that empathy first is, is just a good idea. Listen mm-hmm. first, hear first, empathize first, and then we have permission to teach and to guide and to train. And as parents, we're so worried about all the things we need to teach and train them that we sometimes forget to relate to our little people. Right. Um, and so, you know, we don't want to do one at the exclusion of the other. We right. don't also want to become that parent that only relates and is only the friend and we don't teach, train, or guide. Um, so I think, you know, we have to remember, too, There's this is another area where grace must abound. If I have a hard time knowing how I would feel or how to engage with my emotions, how can I possibly expect my four or five or six-year-old to know exactly how to do that? Wow. Our expectations can be really high. I can't even believe it. I'm looking at this and I'm like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I've expected Hadley as a 2.5 year old not to just freak out whenever baby Susie's clothes come unbuttoned. Yeah. <laughs> and and we have to remember too that for her, baby Susie's clothes coming unbuttoned would be like, you know, somebody hitting my car. Right. Like it's her favorite possession and it's the thing she uses the most and something's gone awry with it. Well, the emotional equivalent that for me is somebody just rear-ended me. <laughs> yes. Oh. And we, we, we belittle it. We belittle it because oh, yeah. that's, we have the perspective of, in, you know what, in 20 years, you're not going to care about that at all. Right. So we, we do this to poor little junior high girls when some friend has hurt their feelings and we go, you are not even going to care about that girl. <laughs> right. And you go, but it doesn't matter. She was important to her today. Yes. How do we help them distinguish between bigger problems and smaller problems? Like, for example, Hadley's sitting at the table and her hands get dirty when she eats. And it is like a major crisis every single day. So I'm curious, is it a daily thing that I go and empathize with her? I'm so sorry your hands are dirty. Or is this something that I, you know, can maybe help her understand? Okay, Yes, baby Susie's clothes coming unbuttoned, like that, that can be really big deal for you. But the fact that our hands get dirty every single time that we eat, like how can I help shepherd you and uh, to understand that this may not be as big of a problem as you think it is? Yeah. Um, you know, I do think there is a little room for empathy there going, oh, baby, I know you do not like dirt on your hands. And then we might, but that might not change what we do, but we might say at that point, oh, I know you hate this. 
you know what, that's a part of eating. Sometimes it's messy, especially when we're <laughs> learning how to do this. Um, and so, you know what, mommy is going to wipe your hands as soon as we're finished. So it might not, empathy does not mean we need to change our direction. Okay. Empathy is just empathy. So to be able to say, I know that you hate that, you don't like how it feels. Um, and then I would also recommend doing some kind of training outside of the context of, you know, let's practice getting our hands dirty and leaving it for a few minutes and just see how that goes. So that might be just stick our hands in some paint outside where we're yeah. not going to get all of the walls. And then we're going to set a timer for three minutes um, and then we'll go wash it off or um, to, to kind of help her get used to it. But in that moment, I do think you can say a statement of empathy and then tell her what we're going to do. Um, and as a parent, you do have a little bit of flex to decide when, um, you know, when do I go, you know what, I get it. I would not want to continue to eat with all that food all over my hands. Um, so we'll go ahead and wipe or wash or whatever. Um, or when we say, you know what, um, you know, we've been having a little issue with Sam the last couple weeks. Um, you know, we haven't had this probably in two years, but he had a little separation anxiety. Right. So I'm dropping him off at places we've normally gone church, Mother Day, Mother's Day out, a babysitter that comes very regularly, and he does not like that moment of saying goodbye. Um, and so he's losing his ever-loving mind as I'm dropping him off, clinging to my dress. And I mean, I'm like, you're four. This shouldn't be happening anymore. Um, and then I realized, I don't know why it's happening. We've investigated that. I can't find any root, but it is a very big emotion for him. Right. So over and over, I've said, you know, baby, I know that you're sad. I don't like when your heart is sad. But sometimes we, when we're sad, we have to do it anyways. Or sometimes when we're afraid, mm -hmm. we have to do it anyways. Um, and so letting him know that feeling fearful doesn't mean that we're not going to go to school today. It just means you feel fearful. Um, and then, you know, and then to connect him to God, to go, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that you would know that God is with you and you're, when you're afraid. I would pray that God would make you brave. I'll pray that. And so even teaching him how to take that emotion to the Lord, too. Yeah. Then the same way that, that you encouraged us to do earlier. Yes. At their age appropriate level, we can do those same steps. Identify the emotion and name it. Confess it um, to God and to other people. Um, and then to line it up with truth and move according to what we are going to do or we know to be right, even if the feeling doesn't want us to do that. Mm. So good. Man, Amy, I can't believe it, but we're we're coming to a close on our time <gasps> about emotion, which is crazy. Do you have anything that you'd like to add as far as encouragement goes um, in someone who's struggling um, with relating to their emotion? Um, yeah, I, I think my main encouragement would be that this is not the one area that grace doesn't touch. Hmm. That that. Even as we relate to our emotions, um, that, that doesn't need to become a source of shame or fear or doubt. That becomes another area where the gospel reaches in um, and, and brings life and good things. And so um, I think my encouragement would be just to um, allow grace and truth to infiltrate even this area of your life. And to remember, too, that this is a journey. You're not the same woman today that you were 10 years ago. And 10 years from now, you'll look back and see where God has brought you. Um, and so we don't have to fix all the things right now. That's, that's a good word. <laughs> that's a really good word, especially to someone who's on the logical side, because now we're all like, okay, what are the action steps? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to do it all by next week. <laughs> Speaking of the logical side, that was my next question. I'm like, ooh, okay, so if we want to grow in this, um, grace does abound. But do you have some resources that you'd suggest to, to those of us who'd like to learn more about relating to our emotions? I have a few. Um, this one was a little hard for me because there's some that are like in a general sense and then there's some for particular emotions. So I'm going to give you a few. Um, this is a very simple read, um, but Every Woman's Battle by Shannon Etheridge. She, Ooh, okay. she talks about um, just the uh, woman as she relates to sexuality and as she relates to her emotion. Um, and it's a, a very fast read. I think lies women believe in the truth that sets them free by Nancy Lee DeMoss, um, you know, the whole ABCDs of life. She's got her finger on some of the common beliefs that women struggle with. Mm. And she, she gives a lot of scripture and a lot of truth to help with that. And I think it's a good overall. Yeah, that's really good. Especially for someone who's like, where do I even start identifying these misbeliefs or false beliefs that I have? 
Yeah, I think that's a really good one. They have a teen version too, um, but I think the, the original one was great. Um, there's one one on depression that I really loved um, by John Piper. It's called When the Darkness Does Not Lift, How to Fight for Joy. Wow, I didn't know that. Um, you know, he has his own personal struggle with depression, and he's very public about that. Um, and so he has a couple of books that speak to that, but this one is very good. Um, and then my favorite book on grief is by C.S. Lewis. It's his most personal book, A Grief Observed. Um, he okay. wrote it when he lost his wife. Um, and he just describes the nature of grief, and I think it's very comforting. So those are a, a few. Um, and there's certainly a, you know an endless <laughs> supply of um, resources. I also think just studying the Psalms, mm. you know, one thing that the Psalms does is it gives us a language for how we feel. Um, you know, and we don't we don't very commonly in the American church, you know, join hands together and sing, "Why are you downcast, soul? Why are you troubled within me?" Um, you know, we we only have a few songs that um, help us connect to those emotions. But I think a study of the Psalms can be really powerful. That's really good. Yes, absolutely. Well, this is on a happy note. Um, what are three of your simple joys, Amy? Ooh, three These little joys. people that I hear in the background. Oh, my little people <laughs> just came in um, naked and wet from the pool outside. They're so cute. I love them. Um, man, I, I feel like I'm one of those people that, because I'm maybe this is the deep feeler in me, I delight in all kinds of little things. But um, I think one of my favorite ones is cooking. I love nothing more than banging around in the kitchen. and um, just You have an awesome kitchen for that, too, by the way, uh, now, thanks to your hardworking hubby. Yes. Um, and I love nothing more than to do that and then to invite friends in to enjoy it. I love um, that. Probably. And I, you know, I don't ever feel the need to throw like big fancy dinner. I'm more of the paper plate dinner party girl, but I, um, I just, I love to cook and bake and find, you know, new things and try new things. Um, I love nothing more than a cup of coffee with a good friend. Um, and then, uh, and playing with my babies. I, I really do just think God gave me two of the most delightful little human beings on the planet. They are precious. And I, I really hope I get to see them soon. So three wonderful, simple joys. Um, well, as we're closing, one of the things that I love to ask my guests, since this is the journey women podcast is who the most influential person in your own journey with Jesus has been. Oh man, this one was so hard for me because I, I think God has just given me an abundance. So I'm actually going to give you um, a movement and a place um, that have been influential. Um, I think first that the, the passion movement. Oh yeah. Um, that started my freshman year in college. And um, that's the, my introduction to John Piper, who has probably been um, one of the most influential people just in how he writes. I've never met the man. Um but it was just a movement with teaching and just a, a way of seeing the world that I had never heard, that the, the renown of God um, and the glory of God is what we move and live for. Um, and then, uh, you know, this is the place where you and I met. Um, Pine Cove has been such yes. a hugely influential part of my life. And I, I just thought, I don't know that I could pick one person. I think that would be terribly hard to do. Right. But, but I spent 10 years on staff at Pine Cove and I, um, I owe... So many, I mean, God just placed me in the right place at the right time with the right people. And he really um, has transformed me through that ministry. Um, and so uh, lots of wonderful mentors. Um, some um, I'm excited even to listen to Carrie Langemeyer and, um, and Craig, obviously a huge part of my life, my current boss, Chris Legg. Um, so I, I'm sorry, I'm going to be mean and just not give you one, but I, as I thought about that, I thought it, it really has been a movement and a place that have been the places where God has given me these people. Oh, man. Well, I totally agree with the Pine Cove piece, which is how I connected with you and so many people that have been on the show. And Amy, I could not be more grateful. I, I was thinking back on our history as I was preparing for this podcast, and I was just really in awe of the way in which the Lord has orchestrated our friendship and the way that he has uniquely used you in little snippets of my life, really to push me closer to Jesus. So thank you so much for your faithfulness to the Lord. I am really, really encouraged and spurred on even from afar. And I'm so thankful to know you. And I'm really, really happy that I get to share my friendship with you uh, with other people today. So thank you so much for coming on the show. 
Thank you, Hunter. It's been a joy and a privilege. It always is. Um, and I am so proud, so proud of what you're doing. And I can't wait to listen to all these podcasts. I'm taking notes too. Oh, yes. Well, thank you for coming on. I love you, friend. Love you. Y'all, thanks so much for listening. If you have more questions about today's show, make sure you check out www.hunterbulis.com for details. I want to say a few thank yous. First of all, thank you for your positive reviews. I've been reading every single DM, email, and text, and I so appreciate the feedback. At one point last week, this is just mind-blowing, Journey Women was the third podcast in the Christian category on iTunes. The only explanation is God is showing off, and y'all are so gracious to take time to write a review. Thank you so much for sharing it with friends. If you haven't left a review, please do. Last but not least, a huge thanks to Jake Scott of Tossing Copper for letting me use the tunes you hear in the background. Download Dancing in the Dawn on iTunes for your perfect windows down, hair blowing in the wind summer jam. Guys, I cannot wait for next Monday. See you then. I hope you have an incredible week.